Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Our gospel lesson tonight comes from Matthew and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. A few verses just before what we read tonight, Jesus said, quote, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, or your good deeds before men, to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But in the very same sermon... Just a few verses before that, he says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Is Jesus confused about what he wants us to do? Um, Which is it? (laughs) Don't let them see your good works, or do them before men so that they may see them. In our gospel lesson, Jesus admonishes his followers to fast in secret, and not draw attention to themselves, like the self-righteous Pharisees. But in our first lesson tonight from the prophet Joel, and in almost innumerable other places, or many other places in the scriptures, the entire nation of Israel is called to a corporate, solemn fast, complete with demonstrative weeping, and in many instances, sackcloth and ashes. You know, context is everything. There's a time and a place for everything. We begin our solemn fast today as a corporate demonstrative rite, a liturgical and ceremonial rite with prayers and the imposition of these ashes, which is a sacramental. We will continue our fast with washed face, good countenance, and quietly over these next 40 days. In our prayers, Throughout this Mass and in the prayers that we prayed over the ashes, blessing them, there is a prevailing mood in all of it, if you pay attention, which instructs us in the way in which we should be engaging in this penitential season. And when we pray these prayers attentively, and I'll make sure that Katie sends all of this out to you in an email so you can be looking over it during Lent in this coming week, which I encourage you to do. But as we pay attention to these prayers and pray them from the heart, they fix in us a right attitude towards God. They teach us how we should feel during the great fast of Lent and this penitential season. We take our introit, the first proper of the Mass, for example, which comes from the Wisdom of Solomon, the Book of Wisdom, chapter 11, and also there's a short phrase from Psalm 56 at the end. Our introit says, Thou hast mercy upon all, O Lord, and hatest nothing that thou hast created. And winkest, in the good king's English, winkest at the sins of men because they should amend, and sparest them, for thou art the Lord our God. 
Then from Psalm 56, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. The worshiper here in both instances clearly recognizes the sinful condition of man, but at the same time confidently expresses faith in the mercy of God, God who loves that which he has made. How could God hate the very thing that he has so lovingly made? It's inconceivable. Despite our lamentable condition, we belong to him. God does not destroy us. Rather, he winks or he looks past our sins that we might repent and be saved. This chapter in the book of Wisdom, chapter 11, if you ever care to read it, it's a really fascinating passage. It's the chapter from which this introit comes. It recounts the sojourn of the nation of Israel through the wilderness, which we read about so many times in the Old Testament. And we all know that this was not a cakewalk for anyone. God's special and precious people, whom he had rescued from Egypt with great wonders, they continued to test him again and again, test him and sin against him despite his ongoing provision despite his loving faithfulness to them and so God in response was forced to punish the Israelites and they got punished again and again they got punished for their faithlessness and the author of the book of wisdom recounts all of this but he makes a critical distinction as he does between God's punishment of the Israelites his own people and God's wrath that was poured out against the Egyptians. He draws numerous parallels between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And he points out that both were similarly punished. In fact, sometimes it's almost indistinguishable the kind of punishment and the way of punishment that God used. It looks very much the same, he says, but to very different ends. He says in verse 9 concerning the Israelites, quote, for when they were tried, they were being disciplined in mercy. For when they, the Israelites, were tried, they were being disciplined in mercy. Then he says that while the Jews were undergoing this discipline, they, quote, learned how the ungodly, the Egyptians, were tormented when judged in wrath, as opposed to being disciplined in mercy. Then in verse 10, he says, quote, for thou didst test them, the Jews, as a father does in warning. But thou didst examine the ungodly Egyptians as a stern king does in condemnation. Well, here we are at Lent. We are being tested, disciplined, called to repentance, to fast. Sometimes in life, we might ask ourselves, as God out to get me? Is God out to get you? You better believe he's out to get you. He's out to get you, not to destroy you, but to bring you back to him and to make you holy. If you're baptized, you belong to him. I mean, everything belongs to him, but if you're baptized, you're one of his children. You've been made righteous and justified before him, and he's going to do everything possible, whatever it takes to bring you fully into his bosom including dealing with our sin through discipline and punishment. 
Sometimes, as I said, it's difficult to distinguish between God's loving discipline unto redemption and God's wrath unto destruction. The writer in the book of wisdom actually points this out in this chapter. It's difficult except for the fact that we have faith and we trust in the love of our Heavenly Father who sent His Son to die that we might be made whole. We have that evidence. This is a constant theme anyway through all the prayers that we pray tonight. It is an expression of confidence in God's mercy while we are crying out and lamenting our woeful condition. A brief aside from this chapter that I thought was interesting and you would benefit from hearing. The, uh, the author also makes this observation that God punishes us by the very things through which we sin. <laughs> he says, in return for their foolish and wicked thoughts which led them astray to worship irrational serpents and worthless animals, thou didst send upon them a multitude of irrational creatures to punish them that they might learn that one is punished by the very things by which he sins. You know, another parallel with Egyptians, you remember? <laughs> you like frogs? Oh, I've got frogs for you. <laughs> uh, you worship the Nile? Here's your Nile. And so on and so forth. So the Egyptians, and he points out in the chapter, how the Israelites were punished in a very similar manner and disciplined in a very similar manner that the Egyptians were punished. But it was not for their destruction, but for their redemption. We hear the same theme, the same emphasis in our gospel tract tonight, which says, O Lord, deal not with us after our sins, nor reward us according to our wickednesses. O Lord, remember not our old sins, but have mercy upon us. And that soon, for we are come to great misery. Again, the offertory after the track, which you'll hear momentarily, there is an expression of relief now and joy of looking forward that our prayer has been answered, that God has heard our cry and he has answered it. And the psalmist says, I will magnify thee, O Lord, for thou hast set me up and not made my foes to triumph over me. O Lord, I cried to thee, and thou hast healed me. The foes. He's not talking about the Philistines or the Amalekites or whoever in this case. As we read this in the church, the foes are our sins. He has released us from the power of our sins. He has healed me. Final point. We need to strive to attain right faith in these things. We need to strive to attain the right feeling and attitude that I'm saying these prayers are meant to form us in and convey to us. It doesn't just happen to us without some effort on our part. You can sit in your pew, you can stand in your pew, I can stand here, we can pray these prayers, and I can just go right over our heads. We have to be attentive and Really pray from the heart. We have to pray these prayers and mean them. We have to ask God to give us this, this passion, this zeal, this desire for his mercy, for his grace. We have to cry out for it. We have to beg for it. We don't arrive at this deep feeling of desperation for God's mercy 
and confidence that he will deliver it without a deliberate and sincere prayer of the heart. It just doesn't come by accident. And that's what's behind these prayers that we pray tonight. And that's what's expressed in the final proper of the Mass, the post-communion, which you will hear shortly, which says, Let the sacraments, O Lord, which we have received, avail to our succor, that these our fasts may be acceptable unto thee and profitable unto us for our healing. These sacraments. Well, besides the ultimate sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, which we are about to receive, the ashes, ashes themselves are sacramental. If we've received them with faith, with a contrite and believing heart, recognizing our need for our merciful God, we will, as this prayer says, be succored, strengthened, recipients of grace, to go through this fast with the help of the Holy Spirit who makes us holy. We need to pray. A lot of you come to confession, and one of your common confessions is, I'm trying to live this Christian life on my own, in my own strength, without the help of God. It's a very, very simple matter. We all do it. We all do it. We forget the simplest things to ask for his help. <laughs> Please help me, God. I need your help. Without you, I can do nothing. And when we ask, believing, that simple prayer. When we ask believing, the Holy Spirit will flood our hearts and our souls. He will give us strength, His energies, His grace to help us do what we need to do to love God. I don't know if you've ever felt that. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives us what we need to walk in obedience and love. It doesn't mean you're going to automatically walk in obedience and love. You still have to get up and do it. You can drink an energy drink and still sit on the couch, jittering, and not go take the run you had meant to take. We still have to engage. Another thing is a lot of us, a lot of us don't ask for that because we know that when we do ask, he will give it to us and we don't actually want to do anything. That's true. We prayed tonight over the ashes. Now, this is not just, this is real. When you're baptized in the font, that water, that is regenerational. The old man dies and you become a new creature. You are deified in the font. This is not just, you know, symbolic in the sense of not meaning anything. We prayed over these ashes and the Holy Spirit blessed these ashes. And we ask them in the first prayer that they become medicine. They are medicine. They are medicine to all who call upon him. As the prayer says, whose consciences accuse them, who in the sight of God's compassion bewail their faults and earnestly and meekly implore God's loving kindness, the prayer says. I guess if you don't do all those things, maybe they're not medicine. I don't know. Go home and read these prayers. Meditate on them. During Lent. God will never refuse the penitent. Who calls upon him and trusts in his mercy. Never. Yet we have to cry out. We have to cry out and cry out. From the depths of our soul. While he may be found. May we imitate. The people of Nineveh. Which we also heard about in the prayers tonight. 
and receive forgiveness and obtain pardon so that we might delight fully in the joys of our redemption. He who has been forgiven much loves much. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.